You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. TransLink will be beefing up its night bus service and is considering adding a new express bus. But for those hoping to see SkyTrain around the clock, the news is not so good. Jill Bennett is live with the results of a new study on improving late night service, Jill. And 24-hour SkyTrain is just not in the cards. That's right, Chris. The report found you could do it on the current system, but the CEO of TransLink says that system wasn't designed for it and to do so would have some major negative consequences. So anyone looking for relief when it comes to transit overnight is going to get that relief in the form of buses. Ask SkyTrain users if they would be on board. Trains running 24-7 on weekends, and it's a hard yes. And having the SkyTrain run 24-7 would be really helpful. You wouldn't have to be surrounded downtown, especially with taxis not picking you up and refusing to drive us out here. A lot of people who live like out in Surrey or Burnaby, they work late hours. They want to be able to get home without taking like a $40 cab. But it's not going to happen. A study looking at the feasibility of round-the-clock SkyTrain Fridays and Saturdays found it would mean stopping service the rest of the week an hour earlier and cutting back on holiday hours to maintain the tracks. We cannot um, run the risk of not maintaining the system. The system's reliability will begin to deteriorate. The system's safety um, will we'll start to have um, challenges and we can't allow that to happen. There are other cities with a wide range in population that run transit through the night on weekends. Cities including London, Philadelphia and Helsinki. Desmond was previously in charge of the always running New York City subway and notes there are key differences. The reason that we could run 24-7 in New York um, is that you've got both local and express tracks. So you have redundant tracks. So you could close one set of tracks while you're working on the other and still provide service. You might sk uh, skip a station here and there. We don't have that capability, that redundancy. Instead, TransLink is going to expand the night bus system with plans to have more buses accessing areas such as the Tri-Cities in Surrey. There are also plans for a shadow bus network, one that would mirror the current SkyTrain system. It's something Vancouver's mayor wants to expedite. I'm disappointed that we couldn't even take this small step. In the end, staff said that this would cost about $4 million a year operating. I mean, we spend hundreds of millions of dollars every year on transit. This is a small, uh, I think, small step that any other large city would already be doing uh, I'm disappointed that we didn't move ahead. That's right. For now, still just plans. So, Jill, when might we see, actually see it in practice, the enhanced night bus service? So that night bus service, uh, to a certain extent, will go ahead. But that shadow bus service, which uh, people were quite excited about today, one that would follow the SkyTrain route, it has been sent back for more study because it comes with a $4 million operating budget. So $4 million every year. At this point, there is no money for that. The mayor's council in Translick would have to find it. So it's unclear when that might be up and running. Chris? All right, Jill Bennett in Vancouver for us. Thank you very much. More tonight on the death of a well-known Vancouver businessman. 78-year-old John Leslie McIver was found dead inside his appliance store on Wednesday by a family member. Nadia Stewart has more on what police are saying about the homicide today and reaction from those who knew him in the community. What has long been a popular appliance sales and repair store remains a crime scene. The victim, the store's owner. It's shocking and it's you know sad to hear of a gentleman that's 78 years old, um, you know, obviously working for his 
entire life and to pass away at work. The brands that we offer are minimal. John Leslie McIver, better known as Jack McIver, was found dead early Wednesday morning here at the business he owned and operated for decades. A family member did discover him uh, yesterday in the, in the business when that family member uh, arrived in the morning. Beyond that, police are releasing few details, saying it's still early in the investigation. We're going full tilt to solve this. We need help from the public, anybody who has any information to give us a call. This is Vancouver's sixth homicide. No arrests have been made yet, and the motive is still unclear. I think it's inevitable. I guess they have to get revenue from... This uh, is footage of an interview we did with Jack MacGyver back in the uh, 80s. He was a longtime businessman, well-known throughout the community, liked and respected by his customers, which is why the 78-year-old man's death comes as such a shock and mystery. Police say surveillance footage in the area is being reviewed. Any witnesses are being asked to contact Crime Stoppers. Not East Star Global News. Richmond RCMP need your help identifying an alleged purse snatcher. Take a look. The suspect approached two women from behind as they walked in a parking lot of a business in the 7100 block of number three road. He grabbed the purse and ran off. The suspect is described as Caucasian in his late teens or early 20s with a thin build. The victim, who is in her 90s, was shaken up but otherwise okay. Anyone with information is asked to call Richmond RCMP. And Abbotsford police are asking for some help in locating items stolen from a couple about to embark on a big move to Manitoba. Their U-Haul, which contained almost all of their belongings, was stolen from a hotel parking lot on Mount Lehman Road at some point between last Friday and Saturday. While the truck was recovered Saturday morning in Surrey, it was completely empty. So if you have any information or dash cam footage, you're asked to contact APD or Crime Stoppers. A Chilliwack man is being sentenced to six and a half years in jail for a fatal hit and run in Maple Ridge. Laura Jeglum Wojcieszyn was riding her motorcycle in 2017 when Ryan Lowe's vehicle crossed the center line and struck her. Romina Dea has more on the sentence and the reaction from the victim's family. Family and friends of 48-year-old Laura Jeglum Wojcieszyn relieved the accused is going to jail. But they say there's no such thing as closure. Justice will never be truly served because I'll never get to have my mom back. You know, my brothers will never get to give her a hug. My kids will never get to feel their grandma again. Ryan Gerald Lowe was sentenced to six and a half years in prison on four counts. Impaired driving causing death, impaired driving causing bodily harm, failing to stop at the scene and public mischief. Why do you feel that it wasn't justice? Uh, my mother. You know, uh, nothing's ever going to justify this to anybody's mother. And uh, just don't drink and drive. Jegla Moichishin was doing what she loved, riding her motorcycle, when she was struck and killed by an oncoming car in Maple Ridge on September 14, 2017. Two others were injured. Lowe left the scene and then falsely reported his vehicle had been stolen. Ridge Meadows RCMP spent five months sifting through hundreds of hours of surveillance video to identify a suspect. Lowe was initially charged with eight counts, but pleaded guilty to four in October of last year. The long drawn out court battle um, and what it's taken to get here after the fact has really, really put a strain on everybody. 
The judge handed down a total sentence of eight years on four counts, but reduced it to six and a half years. The court heard the accused has taken counseling and has shown excellent prospects for rehabilitation. There's justice in the sense that now we can lay this part to rest and we can actually start growing and healing from it. But it's not going to bring anything back. A blunt reality loved ones continue to struggle with. The case not over. The victim's family now preparing for a potential appeal. Romina Dea, Global News. The SPCA has a new investigation and is now caring for four kittens found abandoned on the median of a busy road. They've all been named after beans, now affectionately known as Pinto, Lupini, Lima and Garbanzo. The kittens, just a week old, were found in a closed box on the center median of 113B Avenue near Airport Way in Maple Ridge. The Maple Ridge SPCA is requesting donations to help with the cat's recovery. All of the kittens will be up for adoption in eight weeks. Another defector from Mayor Doug McCallum's Safe Surrey Coalition, Councillor Brenda Locke, the second member to leave recently, calling out the mayor's government style as my way or the highway. Catherine Urquhart has more on the conflict and what it all means for council's ability to get things done. Democracy is at risk in Surrey because it's a one-man show. Strong words from Surrey Councillor Brenda Locke as she exits Mayor Doug McCallum's Safe Surrey Coalition. It was said before that the mayor is a bit of a bully. Um, I would tend to agree with that. She says it's become very dysfunctional. How do you respond? Well, I don't think so. Um, certainly uh, uh, one or two councillors um, have not um, have decided not to go along with what's on the agenda. Locke is the second councillor to abandon McCallum's group. Last month, Stephen Pettigrew parted ways with Safe Surrey. Councillor Pettigrew, please sit Tensions down. Tensions continuing okay, to no mount, with the mayor threatening to have Pettigrew removed from Monday's council if meeting. This is your last warning. I'm going to ask you to leave in a minute. Party fractures have increased in recent months. They started with questions about the police transition. Then there were concerns about Child Support Centre Sophie's Place. Adding to the alienation, McCallum's suggestion Surrey could use a canal. A number of very erratic decisions that this mayor has made. Um, we can talk about the canal. That was one of them that we all got to learn about that on social media. Our council members are going to continue on with our agenda that we promised the um, residents of Surrey that we would do um, if we're elected. Could others jump ship? Would you be surprised if other people left? Not at all. Councillor Jack Hundile told Global News he has yet to make a decision. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Some new developments tonight in flood restoration efforts in Grand Forks. With millions in government funding now secured, the real work begins relocating an entire neighborhood. And while the work is supposed to prevent a repeat of the damage caused by flooding last spring, Kimberly Davidson explains why some homeowners are still concerned. It was just a devastating thing at the moment, you know. The floodwaters came fast in the North Ruckle neighbourhood, and the depth of the water that hit Grand Forks in the spring of 2018 was historic. The Carsons lost everything in their sheds. Water seized the engine of their truck, and their home was damaged. It cost us thousands of dollars. Yeah. While they were forced to move out, the home was repairable. We're back in. We moved out into here when we had to do all underneath the house because it was all mouldy, right? 
A funding announcement on Wednesday offered some good news to flood victims like the Carsons. More than $50 million in government funding will be spent over the next five years on flood restoration. And dozens of families in the North Ruckel flood zone will be bought out and relocated. I think on the books right now there's about 75 critical homes. And the city is doing what it can to find places for those families so they can remain in Grand Forks. A 52-unit low-income family housing unit is under construction and almost ready to help displaced homeowners and other plans are in the works. So the other thing the city is doing is looking at all of our lands throughout the city, what it would cost to service those lands, what we can do to help some of the people from the Ruckel areas that are going to have difficulty uh, finding homes. The Carsons are among those who live in the neighbourhood that will be relocated. They don't really want to leave the home they thought they would retire in, but they don't want to be flooded out again. They also don't know how much money the government will pay to buy them out. It's been all updated. Totally redone, like everything. Doors, windows, insulation, roof. Like, it's a really good little home. And most of all, they worry the buyout won't be enough to buy something comparable in today's market. Kimberly Davidson, Global News, Grand Forks. Right now, though, in part four of our real estate series, Gimme Shelter, a look at the millions of Canadians who have taken out huge lines of credit against the equity in their homes. It adds up to billions of dollars, and some won't be able to pay it back. Sarah McDonald reports on why the experts say that could be disastrous. You've likely heard of home equity loans, and you may have one yourself. Individuals can borrow money on a line of credit, which is then secured against the equity in their home. They can be useful, but they can also be risky in a fluctuating real estate market like Metro Vancouver's. We have seen a lot of clients who have come in who've needed to or have used the equity in their home. With prices going down on, on homes, we found that clients are having less access to less equity in their home means that they have to start making changes and they have to start paying off their debts. But financial experts say an increasing number of British Columbians are spiraling deeper and deeper into debt, due in part to the HELOC, the home equity line of credit, with nearly half of all millennials who carry one making interest-only payments. The worst case scenario is, is that you have to sell that house to be able to pay off those debts. There are some 3 million Canadians saddled with HELOCs at an average of $65,000. One quarter of HELOC holders carrying a six-figure balance with the country's combined HELOC debt load exceeding $300 billion for the first time in April. A nearly 8% increase year over year. With about 25% of individuals not having a real plan or a timeline for paying it off, the range is from five years to never. HELOCs are also a variable rate product, meaning just like mortgages, interest rates can rise at any time. And with the values of most homes stagnating or slumping. I don't see how anybody uh, can say with much confidence where prices are going to be a year or five years from now. A 10-20% correction, I think that's certainly within the realm of possibility. Financial experts and economists are advising caution when it comes to borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. Sarah McDonald, Global News. I've noticed that a lot of my colleagues are uh, really hurting for work these days. It just seems that the slowdown is really starting to hurt their uh, bottom line. More people are starting to lean towards renovations, I'd say, because of the slight downturn in the market with sales and stuff. So there seems like some uncertainty. Coming up in the final piece of Gimme Shelter, the trickle-down effect. How are slowing home sales impacting the people in this province fueling the economy? 
hear who's hurting and who's thriving tomorrow on the news hour and also tomorrow on the Linda Steele show on CKNW an in-depth conversation about Metro Vancouver's real estate market. Mayors along with the provincial and federal housing ministers will be examining BC's housing crisis. That's tomorrow on CKNW from 2 to 6 p.m. The colorful new paint job on a memorial bench down at Kitts Beach is not sitting well with the City of Vancouver officials and the Vancouver Park Board. They're planning to remove it because it doesn't conform. The bench is dedicated to a man who passed away in a motorcycle crash. And as Jordan Armstrong reports, his friends and family are fighting for it to stay put. It looked not very cheerful to say the least. <laughs> Before and after, the bench now clean and bright. The memorial to Colin McKay, transformed by his partner, Julia Gudkova. To me, he was my soulmate. <laughs> Colin, a popular New Westminster teacher, died in a motorcycle accident four years ago. It just brings the bench alive. It brings my son alive. Kudkova spent much of the past week painting and preparing the bench in time for July 2nd, the anniversary of Colin's death. The Vancouver Park Board charges $5,500 for a memorial bench, and it's good for 10 years. I'm not harming anyone. I'm going to make it more beautiful. It never crossed my mind that... Um, it, it would not be well received. Well, it has been well received by many. I think it looks nice. I think what Julia has done is absolutely beautiful. It's art, you know. But the park board thinks it's vandalism, with the family told the painted bench will be replaced before the anniversary of Colin's death. And they currently do not support any arts program in uh, painting the benches. Here's the ironic part. The bench is located in front of a Fieldhouse artist studio operated by the park board. No one from the board would speak on camera. In an email, they claimed Colin's brother endorsed the removal. But he says that's not true. Then, all of a sudden, a temporary reprieve. Says the Vancouver Park Board is allowing the painted memorial bench to stay in place until July 2nd. Oh, that's uh. great. <laughs> so the bench will stay at least until Tuesday. The family's still hoping for a permanent solution, allowing them and others to honor a loved one in their own colorful way. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. And speaking of color, the Punjabi market on Main Street was once one of Vancouver's most vibrant neighborhoods, packed with dozens of shops and restaurants. But in recent years, it's seen a decline, with many businesses closing or moving. Now there's a push to revitalize the area between 48th and 51st Avenues in time for the market's 50th anniversary next year. City Council has unanimously passed a motion to look at ways to restore the neighborhood to its former glory and honor its cultural and historical significance. In about 2016, we saw one-third to one-fourth of the storefronts empty. In the last two, three years, we've actually made it less than 10%. So we are trying to bring local businesses. We acknowledge that we want to bring other businesses here that aren't South Asian and also South Asian to work together and to make this a vibrant uh, community again. When it comes to recycling plastics, the plastics we use every day, our province is getting much better at taking care of its own. In part two of our focus on plastics, Aaron MacArthur finds that BC is dealing with its plastics problem locally, and it's helped generate a whole new industry. If somebody makes a request, you can put a bumper on any car. The inventory at Bumper Now is staggering. So our inventory is 9,000 bumpers. The company remanufactures damaged bumpers for the auto body industry. 
less than 10% of what they take in are fixable. The rest, until just recently, waste product. If a 200 bumpers come in today, so about maybe 15, 20 bumpers will go on the shelf. In 2018, when China shut its doors to foreign plastic waste, Bumper Now was left with a problem. No one would pick up their garbage, and it was growing by the day. The owners decided they had to act, investing in machinery to turn bumpers into plastic pellets, a new business model that has been so successful, they've had to expand. We wanted to do something similar with other types of plastics, other sort of problems that's out there, because we want to keep this recycling portion uh, growing. Bumper Now, one example of BC being a North American leader in recycling. Producer responsibility has meant more items diverted from landfills. All of the plastic recycled in Metro Vancouver at curbside is dealt with here. Merlin Plastic handles 150,000 tonnes a year. And that's turned into pellets, it's reused, it's reused for new packaging material, it's used for uh, plastic pots, it's used for auto parts. And so there is a use for plastic if we separate it and keep it clean. There are some weak spots in the recycling closed loop. Condo dwellers tend to recycle less, and different cities with different contractors have meant diversion rates are still well short of the region's goals. By keeping the recycling stream local, Metro Vancouver is able to create new industries, like Bumper Now, to help create new ways to reduce plastic pollution. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Some terrifying cell phone video captures the moment of impact as a Russian passenger plane attempts to make an emergency landing in Siberia. The jet skidded off the runway, rolled over, and hit a building before bursting into flames. Two crew members, including the pilot, were killed, but miraculously, all 43 passengers survived. Several of them were taken to hospital. The cause of the crash is still under investigation, but there are reports that one of the aircraft's engines failed. News today that Chinese fighter jets came within a few hundred meters of a Canadian warship in the East China Sea. HMCS Regina was taking part in joint operations in international waters to support sanctions against North Korea. That comes as world leaders are gathering in Japan for the start of this weekend's G20 summit. The Prime Minister arrived to a soggy start in Osaka today. Justin Trudeau is expected to enlist the support of his G20 colleagues over Canada's escalating dispute with China. That includes the detention of two Canadians by Chinese authorities. Trudeau will not be meeting with China's president, but U.S. President Donald Trump pledged to bring up the issue on Canada's behalf during his one-on-one -on -one with the Chinese leader. It was all smiles at the Western Premier's Conference today. For the first time, B.C. Premier John Horgan and Alberta Premier Jason Kenney have met in person. It was expected that their opposing views on the expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline would cause some friction between the two leaders. But as Richard Zussman reports, it was all quite civil. It was a showdown months in the works. When Premier John Horgan and Alberta Premier Jason Kenney sat down around the same table to kick off the Western Premier's meeting, it was all smiles. Following the meeting, the Trans Mountain Pipeline and the relationship between the two Premiers dominating the conversation. Uh, we have worked, I believe, very cooperatively as a group. And I, uh, I think Premier Ken and I are 
Premier Kenny and I are off on the right foot. But there's still clearly disagreement about the future of the pipeline expansion, the two sides acknowledging its federal jurisdiction. But it doesn't mean Kenny won't stop asking the B.C. government to get out of the way. I uh, indicated to uh, to Premier Horgan our, our hope that... Uh, the government of British Columbia will respect the uh, decisions that have been made. Tension's been building recently between the two provinces, and even though Alberta will keep asking, BC's still hoping the Supreme Court of Canada will rule on the province's right to restrict the flow of bitumen. We'll continue with the reference case. I had suggested to former Premier Notley, as well as uh, Premier Prime Minister Trudeau, a year ago that we should go directly to the Supreme Court and it would be over now. Horgan and Kenny did have some one-on-one -on -one time in Alberta, a late steak dinner on Wednesday night. And the Premier stuck in the middle of Horgan and Kenny, saying it was pretty civil right, feud between the provinces. I think it says a lot about the quality of leadership in, in both of these two provinces uh, beside me, that I, I came here uh, with considerable referee experience in my life and didn't have to use any of it. Horgan having to leave the press conference early. No, he wasn't storming out over a disagreement. He had a flight to catch. Richard Zussman, Global News, Edmonton. Air Transat's board of directors has approved a takeover offer from Air Canada. The national carrier is offering $520 million for Air Transat, or $13 a share. The agreement, however, still has to be approved by two-thirds of Transat's shareholders. The two companies had entered negotiations concerning a possible takeover back in May. An urgent warning now for anyone with a 15-inch MacBook Pro. Apple is recalling half a million of the laptops after more than two dozen reports of the laptop's batteries overheating. Five cases resulted in minor burns and one in smoke inhalation. These computers were produced between September 2015 and February 2017. So if you have one, they say stop using it right away and contact Apple to schedule a free repair. A pretty tricky rescue off Australia's Gold Coast to tell you about today. A huge humpback whale stuck in a shark net near a popular beach. It took rescue teams about an hour to free the 10-meter mammal. This is the first whale to be entangled in nets off the Queensland coast during this migratory season. Last year, five whales were caught in nets in that region. In Health Matters tonight, a new tool helping save some families in northern B.C. from making expensive trips to B.C.'s Children's Hospital. A virtual cochlear implant service has just launched, allowing audiologists to video conference with patients in Prince George to help adjust their hearing devices remotely. On average, kids with cochlear implants have to travel to Vancouver 30 times to have their implants mapped. There are plans now to open three or four other virtual sites in the next couple of years, a huge relief for parents who make many sacrifices to make the trek to the Lower Mainland. I don't think telehealth will take over from all of our visits, because face-to-face is still really great, but for the basic mapping sessions, when we don't have any problems, we're just checking in, um, it's, it's fantastic. What a, what a burden to lift from families to have to travel so much and so far. A 17-year-old boy with a keen eye and good hands is being lauded for his quick thinking. That's coming up right after the forecast with Christy. 
Spring can be a little unsettled, and that mm -hmm. does lead to some interesting weather phenomenon now and again. Here's Christy. Yes, I wanted to just quickly show you this video from earlier. This was before the thunderstorms that we saw yesterday in the Fraser Valley. Dust Devil captured on camera. Thanks to Chris Maniac for that. Uh, yeah, incredible to see the strength of a Dust Devil, despite the fact that it didn't actually come from a thunderstorm. But we do have thunderstorms in through the interior regions. So there's a band from a Soyuz through Grand Forks. It doesn't look like much on the radar imagery, but there is a severe thunderstorm warning in effect. And I think the reason for that is that these thunderstorms are actually producing pretty large hail. And uh, we're also seeing gusty winds from that. We're also tracking thunderstorms in through the Okanagan Valley, mainly the northern sections from just north of Penticton up into north of uh, Vernon. The thing with this is very interesting is these thunderstorms are building and then dying really quickly. So there's potential there for these really strong thunderstorms to build almost anywhere in this region. So if you're in that Okanagan Valley northern regions, keep your eye out for those and be aware that we have the potential of severe thunderstorms in the area. This is the general pan. Can you see the swirling motion? This is a big upper level low that's creating this unsettled air mass and we're seeing the flow from the east across the south coast and this is going to continue through the next 24 hours but the interesting aspect is majority of the rain will be in the central regions, caribou and then touching down into just into Whistler, just north of Vancouver tomorrow. So tomorrow we only have a slight chance of a shower. All of the moisture will be from Squamish north into Whistler at 10 millimeters potentially. We saw a good 25 in the metro Vancouver region in just two hours this morning. Great news for our area, but that's about it for the major rain for our region. Although we do, it will be a bit damp tomorrow, that's for sure. So rain and thunderstorms tomorrow for most areas except for our region, a slight chance of showers for Metro Vancouver. Sunshine Coast, you'll see rain. And then from there on in, from Saturday afternoon on, it looks like we're in the clear and sunshine. I just want to show you this picture. I saw this driving home. This is just before the thunderstorms made their way into Metro Vancouver. It looks like there's eyes in the sky. Thanks to Shelly for that one. A lot of people took a photo of this. And it's basically the sun is shining through those major clouds. That is really cool. Thanks very much, Christy. A teenager in Istanbul is being hailed a hero after saving a little girl from a fall. The 17-year-old was down on the street when he first spotted the toddler hanging from a second-story window. As he got closer, she began to slip, and that's when he jumped into action just in time to catch her. A very close call, but she's in good shape now. Thank goodness. He looks so casual prior good to hands. I know. Yeah, that's those what are, I was saying. Those are good hands. hands. So let's recruit him. Yeah, <laughs> wide receiver. Good soccer goalie, good wide receiver. Uh-huh. One thing's for sure about the Whitecaps this season. If you're watching the game, you gotta watch till the end. Yes. You just have to. Yeah, you never know what's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's a twist ending. Uh, ties or draws, to use the lexicon of soccer, are not always the most exciting things to watch. But the Whitecaps are doing their best to make them interesting, perhaps a little too interesting for head coach Mark DeSantos. In each of the Whitecaps' last two games, they've had to rally from two goals down to get one point. And can Dallas keep possession? They can. That's a nice turn by Venuto. He's going to try one, Venuto! Oh, what a goal! Lucas Venuto has kept... We, we never give up. It's a team that when, when we're down... Uh, we realize the things that need to be better. Well, it is great that the Whitecaps have rallied twice from 2-0 down, but what they really need to do is stop getting 2-0 down. 
yeah, you know, it's uh, we want to. There's a lot of ties there, but what I tell the guy, the the players, in our mentality is, if we're not able to win the game, well, we we don't lose it. We certainly are building that sort of attitude here. Where never give in and, and are never beaten. I think every single game this season has been um, has been very close and all these points are going to add up at the end of the season. Well, it is true the single point is better than no points, but the Caps still have only four wins this year. They have eight ties. They're the lowest scoring team in the Western Conference. And next up will be a road game in Seattle on Saturday. A team they, of course, tied earlier this year. Okay. Because of the stop-and-go nature of football, there is lots of time for players to lobby the quarterback. In the BC Lions case, Mike Riley, to get them the ball. There has never been a quarterback ever in the history of football, no matter what league, no matter what level of football, who hasn't heard from his receivers in the huddle, I was open, you should have passed it to me. Even if they probably weren't open. Yes, I do. I do feel open all the time. Like pretty much every receiver who plays football, Deron Carter feels he's open on every play. At least that's what he tells the quarterback. Now that may be true once in a while, but all the time, that's just delusional. Uh, but I tell you, sometimes uh, you, you write a check that you can't cash, and you're like, "Man, I'm, I'm open." And the quarterback's like, "Okay, I'm coming to you." And, and the next play, you're not open, and he throws it to you anyway, anyways. And you're just like, "Man, I wasn't open that play." And it's just like, "Man, I told you you were open." And, and you know that's football. Mike Riley's heard it all. Receivers constantly pleading their case. Maybe a few years ago, he'd have to take their word for it. Not now. That's the beauty of the iPads on the sideline now, is that I don't have to ask them. Because if you ask them, they're going to tell you they're open. But you go and look at the iPad, then you just you get your answer right away. So that's, uh, I think that maybe keeps them a little more honest. When you got a guy like Mike Riley, you, you, don't, you don't lobby. You, <laughs> he knows where the ball's supposed to go, and that's where it goes. So uh, when you got a guy like him, you just sit back and you, you let it come to you. Burnham is a rare voice of reason. Everyone, it seems, feels they know best. Oh, no, no, definitely a lobby on defense. Coach, we're blitzing too much. Can we just go four-man so I can get this one-on-one pass rush? And then they get it, and then they don't win. So it's one of those, it's like it's like the karma. But there are times when players legitimately see something that can get instant results. You know, Duran came up to us and was saying that uh, he felt like he could double-move the boundary guy. Um, you know, so credit to our coaching staff of being open to that and just drew something up on the sideline and, and ran it the next drive and, you know, got a 35, 40-yard completion down the rail so um, you know you want to hear from them what they because they're the ones that are out there that see it right and they know what they can beat the guy on but uh, you, you do take it with a grain of salt sometimes <laughs> all right CFL tonight Matt Nichols pretty good quarterback himself although this time he's handing off to Nick Dembski and Dembski scoring seven nothing for Winnipeg against the Eskimos and then one of my favorite names in the CFL lucky whitehead Lucky's open. Now throw him the ball. Yes. That's not luck. That's skill. And that's a touchdown. And it's a 14-9 now in the second for Winnipeg over Edmonton. I love how anything that even remotely connects Kawhi Leonard to Toronto is reason to celebrate. Apparently he has been seen on vacation in Barbados wearing a Blue Jays shirt. So that must mean he's coming back to Toronto next season. He does have a meeting with the Raptors. There are reports that now the L.A. Lakers 
are talking with Kawhi Leonard as well, and so are the L.A. Clippers. He will meet with the two L.A. teams first, then the Raptors last, then make his decision. If he returns to Toronto, it might be for just one year. But if he does that, they get a chance to defend the championship. No free agent can officially sign with the team until July the 6th. Okay, Women's World Cup soccer, quarterfinal action, England, Norway, very early. This is what I would call a happy accident. It was supposed to go here, but instead it goes there. And Jill Scott scores, 1-0. It's 2-0 England now. And Lucy Bronze with the golden shot. And who loves it? David Beckham, high five. Wait a minute, don't leave me hanging, David. There you go. England wins. They'll play the winner of the USA and France tomorrow. They'll play. There you go. Thank you very much, Squire. Marks the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing, the moment when humans first stepped foot on the moon. And Canadians, including a Kamloops man, played a significant role in making that happen. As Phil Carpenter reports, Canada Post is marking the occasion in a very special way. Ross Maynard still has paperwork that his dad left him after his death. The blueprints of the lunar module legs that were produced by Grumman. He brought the plans with him to a special event in Longueuil hosted by Canada Post. The company was honoring Canadian contributions to the Apollo 11 mission 50 years ago. My dad's role at the time of the lunar landing was as the chief of the systems engineering division. Owen Maynard from Sarnia, Ontario, was primarily responsible for the design of the lunar lander. That's one small step for man. The other Canadian was aircraft designer James Chamberlain, who was born in Kamloops, B.C. He helped figure out what kind of spacecraft would carry the Apollo 11 astronauts to the moon. His son was also at the event. I think I would like my father to be best remembered for somebody that made a difference. Liftoff. So Canada Post is marking these contributions in a big way by producing two commemorative stamps. It's to help make more Canadians aware of Canada's involvement in the mission. We really want to showcase the Canadian content. We want to showcase those legs, that lunar landing gear that was made right here in Aero DevTech in Longueuil. And employees are proud. They even kept a copy of one of the legs. Well, mo most of our people know because this is our carte car de visite. Huh? It's, uh, it's our claim of fame. Canadian Governor General and former astronaut Julie Payette likes to brag about it. If you want to be technically correct, the first feet to touch the moon were Canadian. She says Canada's involvement in the space program is nothing new. Yeah, we're the third country to design and build a satellite in 1962, Alouette. And uh, we've been contributors all along. Something that doesn't surprise Maynard because, he says, Canada brings something extra to the space program. Hard work, highly talented, Highly motivated, relentless problem solvers. Phil Carpenter, Global News, Longueuil. And interesting fact, Squire's uncle also played a small part yeah, in that whole operation. Yeah, my uncle Sam was, uh, worked for the Avro Arrow, the production of that. Then they came and got all those guys and took them down to NASA. And he was around during that entire time. And then became something called a missile trajectory expert. Wow. That's another long so, story. That's a very, very specific skill, yeah. isn't it? Uh, okay, some breaking news in the weather center, too. Yes, because of these thunderstorms across the region, we're getting reports of either hail or snow on the connector. It's a very localized area. I couldn't actually find it on any of the tower cams, but just be aware of that. All right, be careful if you're driving in that uh, area. Thank you very much for watching. Hope you have a great night.